Hello there, and welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tefteller, your host. We are all done with the Christmas holidays, right? We are done, uh, for those of you who are celebrating Christmas. Uh, but we are done, and we are moving into 2024. And we are always looking for topics and guests and whatever to do, uh, little special uh, runs of shows for people to highlight some of the best episodes from certain shows. So um, we have picked Escape for this particular run of 10 episodes. So for 10 weeks, uh, we may interrupt it with something else along the way, I don't know, but for 10 weeks uh, straight, unless we interrupt it, you should hear some great Escape shows. And we have a, a special guest that's going to help us out with that because I never really heard most of the escape shows. I've heard some of the real um, well-known classic ones that were played over and over again for years. I've heard those. But the show was on for a number of years and a number of really great ones that apparently exist within those numbers of years that I'm just not familiar with because when... I was doing all this years ago in the 70s and early 80s. Um, I was a volunteer along with Ken Greenwald and Ron Wolf down at the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters Club in Archives at Sunset and Vine in Hollywood. And uh, I was working on the suspense program and making transfers of the original CBS Masters for suspense. And at the same time I was doing that, my longtime friend, my dear departed friend, Ken Greenwald, uh, was doing Escape. And so I gave Ken all the suspense shows that I transferred. And at some point, he was going to give me all the Escape shows he transferred. But I wound up moving to Oregon and kind of forgetting about it. And it just never happened. So in any case... Ken's other great friend, Mr. Keith Scott from Australia, uh, certainly did suck up all those great escape transfers that Ken did, and he has them, and he's going to share them with us for 10 weeks here on the Good Old Days of Radio Show. Keith has been with us before. He's uh, what I call the modern-day Mel Blanc, or the Australian man of a million voices, however you want to refer to him. He is an impressionist and a comedian in Australia. He's speaking to us from the land down under today and for the next 10 weeks on this show, generously uh, giving of his time to educate the good old days of radio audience on the great show Escape. So, welcome to the great good old days of radio show, Keith Scott. Thanks for coming back for, for more. Well, that's a pleasure, John and Daniel. It's great to be back. And, uh, I, you know, this is the classiest old-time radio podcast, so I'm really glad to be involved in it. And uh, I'm so glad that you invited me to uh, talk about Escape, which is uh, because it was never sponsored the way Suspense was on a big-time basis. It really doesn't have the uh, huge following that Suspense has, even though it's got a cult following of many people who were in the hobby from the early days of, of radio collecting. I really um, first got into Escape because of my interest in all of the great cartoon actors at J. Ward Productions who did the famous satirical Rocky and Bullwinkle, George of the Jungle, Dudley Do-Right cartoons. And I had always, uh, as a, even as a kid, uh, started writing to all of these great voice actors, including the two people who were the main opening voices for all 240 escape shows, and that is Paul Fries and William Conrad. 
who other radio buffs, of course, know as the voice of Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. Well, these two actors really uh, kind of dominated Escape, not only uh, in acting roles, but uh, as this opening voice. So when I met Skip Craig, uh, who I knew before I knew Ken Greenwald, as a veteran collector over there, he also worked at J. Ward Productions and was selling cassette copies of old-time radio in the Dudley Do-Right Emporium memorabilia shop that Jay Ward uh, had right behind his studio on Sunset Boulevard there. So I got to know Skip very, very well. He, he kind of uh, took to my interest in all of the great Jay Ward voices because he you know, was working with them on his editing machine every day for 20 years before this. And uh, so he, he immediately told me about this series called Escape, and so from 1973, I've been a, a lover of this series. I think it was um, the at least the equivalent of, of suspense and gun smoke uh, in terms of quality because uh, they were lucky enough to nab um, as the producer-director of the first long run, William N. Robeson, who really, I believe, should uh, have a book written about him as, uh, as possibly uh, at least the equal of Orson Welles and Norman Corwin as a, uh, a superb radio um, producer-director who uh, had a mania for realism and uh, really um, fell into doing Escape as a post-war series. Well, let me just let me just preface before we play the first episode I've chosen. The, um, the series Escape began as a summer replacement, not for suspense, but uh, as a tryout for the Lux Radio Theatre in, in the summer of... 1947 and uh, it was decided that rather than another mystery series and bill robeson admitted that the success of william spears suspense series got the board of directors at cbs interested in a similar type of dramatic program with that type of quality so they did what they did with all of these radio shows they began them as a summer replacement to see if it generated any sponsor interest so um, it was created by an executive at CBS called Ernie Martin, Ernest Martin, who uh, was a creative type of executive and uh, in charge of programming on the West Coast. And uh, it was his idea to veer from the idea of mystery into more high adventure and do it on a really classy scale. So he got two of the, the great uh, writers and heads of the writing staff at CBS. It was a guy called John Dunkel. D-U-N-K-E-L. And according to Bill Robeson, he, he was the one responsible for choosing all of the material. And they decided for the first year, at least, to go with classics of literature, high adventure classics. And uh, they really had to um, be very artful in what they did because they were often compressing not only short stories, but novels into a, into a half hour format. It was a solid half hour. There were no commercials. But uh, the Bill Robeson again said he was super lucky right at the beginning of the series because he had just discovered a writer in the dying days of the Columbia Workshop at the end of 1946 called Les Crutchfield, who uh, he said just had a gift for being able to adapt any story into a radio uh, script and create pictures in the audience's mind. Well, we always hear about, you know, radio is the theatre of the mind and using your imagination. But Bill Robeson actually uh, is on the record as saying in one of the uh, interviews he, he conducted that he came up with an idea during his days with the old Columbia workshop of trying to be as real as possible, aiming for a, an intelligent audience, 
uh, not aiming down with the sort of some of the B-grade stuff that radio did, you know, kiddie stuff and uh, and so on. But also he had an idea of creating via brilliant writers what he called um, radio cinema. In other words, he created pictures in your mind that were so vivid you could not turn away from this half-hour show and, and it gripped you. And that's what I found by... Um, all of the suspense shows that Skip Craig uh, gifted me with in the uh, 70s. Uh, and eventually I got the upgrades that Ken did once I met Ken in 83. And uh, I just found, I found that uh, the series Escape, and it's not just a personal thing. Of course, Escape is one of the radio buffs shows of, of the whole uh, interest in old time radio, uh, along with uh, shows like Gunsmoke and uh, yours truly, Johnny Dollar and Quiet, Please. Uh, Escape really has a, a very large following just from people who even subconsciously recognized its its excellence of production. It didn't skimp in any way in uh, creating vivid and gripping stories that moved really well. And I, I think what I've done is I've chosen 10 that are not as well known, except for maybe one, because there is I think a total of 240, yes, 240 original Escape radio shows. Only 12 now are missing that haven't turned up, and we're hoping that they do turn up. I'll but, do my uh, best. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought I, I th thought just to demonstrate the way the first uh, season concentrated on um, – you know, adaptations of of the greats of of uh, American lit and well, world literature, the greats of high adventure and and just daring do everything from Robert Louis Stevenson to John Buchan to all of these famous old authors, and their works actually still read well today. It's amazing with the passage of time that you tend to think a lot of this stuff must be rather quaint by today's um, seen-at-all standards. But uh, all of these stories are still regarded as absolute classics of literature. And and in some ways, it's it's if you really love this series, Escape, it's good to uh, go and read the story after you hear it and then go back and listen to the radio adaptation again. So today I've chosen one of the great authors uh, from that uh, era, many of them who began in, in the 19th century, in the late 1800s. Uh, and this is Rudyard Kipling, who uh, is um, one of the most prolific authors of all time and recognized as such a Nobel Prize winning author. Everyone remembers uh, shows like The Jungle Book, not only the Disney cartoon, but the old Sabu motion pictures, things like Kim. And uh, he grew up in in British India in those days. What was you know what's very unpopular these days with a certain uh, political persuasion is the uh, the era of colonialism. Well, this was the colonial era of British India, and uh, he was born of English parents, but grew up in in India and observed a lot of the culture for many years. And it's reflected in so much of his work. And this is uh, an amazingly good adaptation of a little short story that he did in 1892 that was published in a, a, a compendium of his short stories called Soldier's Tales, all about the, you know, the British army that was on, on constant call there in India. And um, it's actually a quite a well-remembered short story because it really centers around the two mischievous young boys who are recruits. I guess they're orphans and they've been recruited into... Uh, into the British Army in India as musicians, like a, a fife and a drum. The the drums of the fore and aft is the name of the show, and 
if you listen uh, throughout, you'll hear that the the CBS staff musician Wilbur Hatch, uh, he was kind kind of nicknamed Bill Hatch, but it was Wilbur, did a, a just a, a brilliant adaptation of the famous uh, Gr- British Grenadiers March music that themes this whole show, and it's narrated by uh, an actor who died quite young, but he was um, you'd think he's an Englishman. He's so uh, good at the accent. But he was a Chicagoan of Norwegian parentage called Eric Rolf. That's Eric E R I K. So he came from that European background, and he plays Rudyard Kipling, who narrates his own story. And uh, we call this show, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you want to really escape, and that's the brilliance of this this uh, show's format, escaping from the four walls for a, a half hour of high adventure. Then this is uh, Eric Rolf does the opening voice on this show as well, not. Paul Fries or Bill Conrad, and plays Rudyard Kipling, who narrates the story. And it's the drums of the fore and aft. Okay. Well, that was a uh, very detailed, detailed introduction. <laughs> hey, you got, you got, you know your stuff. I'm a motor boy. mouth, John. You know I'm a motor mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but you know your stuff. I, I couldn't ramble well, on about escape that long, <laughs> and, at le- and at least make any factual sense. So good. See, that's why you're here. Um, one quick note: You mentioned Skip Craig a couple times. Uh, we mm-hmm. should we should note for the audience that Skip Craig was a member of the Spike Jones and the City Slickers band uh, before yes. before he became an editor at Jay Ward. And he w- oh yeah, and he was the band boy because like like me with the Jay Ward stuff, he was the world's biggest Spike Jones fan, and and again his dream came true where he ended up working for his. Uh, his his hobby, you know, his lifelong hobby. Yes, but I just wanted to make clear because us old timers in all this, we know who all these people are, and we kind of name yeah. drop here, there, and everywhere. And some of the young folk may have no clue who. What? Are we, why is this guy important? What are we talking about? But he was one of the the actual pioneer radio show collectors going back to the sixties. And uh, and as a matter of fact, in John Dunning's famous book about old time radio, is dedicated, and it says to skip who knows about friendship and old-time radio. That that was the dedication he made in his first, first yes, edition. Yes, that, that's correct. And, and um, I, I went over to Jay Ward on several occasions, and I would be talking to him while he's sitting there cutting fra- fractured flickers, which was a famous uh, kind of goofy show in the 60s and 70s where they took silent movies and kind of chopped them up and put funny funny sayings in people's mouths that weren't there originally and it's it's quite a fun show hans conried is on a whole ton of those too all right and and hans conried will be on one of the escapes that we present well, i'm sure he was show. everywhere all over radio oh yeah okay <laughs> so now we don't want to we don't want to take the audience away too far here from the topic you're going to hear the drums of the fore and aft is that how you pronounce it fore and aft I'm not, aft, I'm not British. But, uh, aft. Okay. Well, yeah, but it, it would be British. It would be fore and aft. Aft. Yes. Okay. I thought so. <laughs> I'm doing my best British here. Right. All right. All right. So <laughs> let's listen to that, and then we'll have some comments afterwards. Here we go. Worrying about those bills piling up, dreaming about that coming vacation, want to get away from it all? We offer you escape. <laughs> You are deep in the remote hill country of Afghan, face to face with the fierce Pathan warriors, trapped into a hopeless fight from which there seems no escape. (laughs) 
Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to the north of India and to a battle long remembered, as Rudyard Kipling described it in his famous story, The Drums of the Fore and Aft. When I came out from England to serve as a news correspondent with the British troops on the North Indian border, Regiment Number 329A was called the Four and Fit, Princess Hohenzoller in Zone Royal Light Infantry. Four and Fit, but now behind their backs men call them the Four and Aft. You know, when certain words are shouted in front of other barracks, the troops may come out with belts and fists. But the mere whisper of fore and aft brings out the men of this regiment with rifles in their hands and murder in their eyes. I think perhaps the story of how the fore and aft got its name may be really more the story of Jakin and Peggy Liu, two of the toughest and most lovable little monsters who ever banged a drum or tooted a fife in a military band. They were both about the same age, with curly hair and the faces of cherubs. And inside were two souls that should have belonged to a pair of devils. Oh, I must have seen them before, of course. But the first occasion I can recall was an informal regimental court the colonel was holding in the orderly room one morning. Piggy and Jakin were there, and they were in trouble, as usual. All right, Sergeant, read the charges. Yes, sir. The charge is made by one Smithers, a civilian, that while walking back of the bazaar at 6 p.m. last evening, he was set upon without provocation by two drummers from the corps band, known as Jakin and Piggy Lou, and by them was beaten into near insensibility. Fighting again. Go on, Sergeant. Mr. Smithers states further that he was struck down by the two defendants, and while lying on the ground was kicked repeatedly in the face and ribs escaping with his life only through the timely arrival of a detachment of the guard. That's all, sir. Well, what about it, Jakin? Piggy, is this the truth? Oh, yes, sir. We gave him what for, all right. Come, <laughs> confounded you two little heathens are more trouble than all the rest of the regiment put together. You're hailed in here on charges every time you turn around. I can't very well put you in cells. Well, hang you. Oh, no, sir. We shouldn't like that at all. <laughs> that will do, Jakin. Yes, sir. All right, Sergeant. Turn them over to the bandmaster and have them tan their hides. Tell them to make it one they'll remember this time. Yes, sir. Begging your pardon, sir, mm. but can't we see nothing in our own defense? Mm, that's right, sir. What if a bloomin' civilian said he'd report you for having a bit of a turn-up with a friend? Suppose he tried to get money out of you, sir, and then... That will do, Piggy. Then you were fighting. Well, only between ourselves, sir, and that don't count. If you'll pardon me, Colonel, this man Smithers does have a reputation for that sort of thing, uh, blackmail, you know. And one thing the boys don't do is lie. It's not that we'd mind it, sir, to be called up by even a corporal. But we can't have no blinking civilians interfering with the business of Her Majesty's regiment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll forget the birching. You're both confined to quarters for three days. But, sir... And throw away that pipe when you get outside, Piggy. You're too young to be smoking. Yes, sir. All right, dismissed. 
Confounded Kipling, I don't know what to do with the lads. They're not really bad at heart. And they've never known any home but the army. Where did they come from, by the way? Oh, Jacob is from some back street in London, and Piggy Lou is straight off the Calcutta docks. In both cases, ancestry unknown. Well, they seem loyal enough to the regiment at any rate. They are, and loyal to each other in their own way. I'm inclined to think sometimes they've got more real spirit than all of those new regulars put together. Yes, I'd say you're overloaded with green troops, Colonel. Overloaded? 90% of the regiment were in Manchester factories and Lancashire farms six months ago. Can't make a soldier in that length of time. Any uh, chance of action fairly soon? Off the record, we'll probably move north in about ten days. Not to the front, of course. We'll give them a few months of guarding communication lines. Let them shake down a bit before they see any real action. Yes, good idea. It's the only thing to do. There's only one thing certain. This regiment is not ready for action yet. Only don't write that back to your paper. But the gods who govern armies seldom choose the wisest plan. On the Afghan border, a large force of Pathan guerrillas began massing near the Khyber Valley, being held in check temporarily by a regiment of Highlanders and a regiment of native Gurkhas. A week later, the four and fit was ordered to march north, contact the other two regiments, and carry out joint action to disperse the enemy. Parade ground and barracks began to hum with preparations for the coming campaign. Privates walked with a new swagger. Subalterns began to snap their salutes and orders. And the young officers nearly shot one another at pistol practice. Battle. A glorious word to men who'd never fired a gun at a human being in their entire lives. But to Piggy and Jakin, the excitement was like salt in an open wound. For the band was reduced to 20 men, and the drummer boys were being left behind. me if I'm gonna let him do it to me, Jaikin. Me, what's going to have a career in the army? Being left behind like an old boot. And why should you worry? Now you can stay here with that blooming girl of yours. Oh, what's a girl when the regiment's going up to the front? And that's another thing, too. How am I going to explain to her about being left behind with the women? What do you have to explain anything to her for? She's only 13. Oh, I've been telling her I'd get myself a medal when the first campaign come along. Now am I going to do it now, I ask you? Perhaps the drum major will give you a blooming medal for tootin' on a fife. I heard him talking to you yesterday. And how was I to stop him? Piggy, he says, why don't you consider making music your career? <laughs> Piggy Lou, the musician, a bloomin' non-combatant. I won't do it. He can try, but he can't make me. Aha, and when I'm an officer, perhaps I'll invite you in to have a glass of sherry wine on mess nights, Mr. Lou. I'll be a blinking officer before you are. I'm gonna join up with the regulars just as soon as I'm old enough. Piggy, the musician. Ah, <laughs> Stewie. Right at the moment, I don't feel like fighting even you. I heard in the barracks are gonna take uh, Tom Kidd along. He's to be the bugler. Of course, he's 18, though. That he is. But I can plaster the wall with him any day. And with one hand behind me back. Perhaps we can hit him around a bit. Just enough so he can't bugle no more. You get hold his hands, Piggy, and then I'll kick him in No, the... no, no. They, they, they still wouldn't take us. Our reputations aren't what they might be, you know. Oh, well. I just leave stay here and do a bit of love for myself. With our own regiment going into action? Why, I just leave have my... Hey, look who's coming. It's the blooming colonel herself. And so it is, all alone. You know, Jenkins, me lad, I think I'll have a little talk with this colonelship. Have you gone to have with they eat? 
Oh, the Colonel's a good old beggar. Here, hold me pipe. Blimey, now we're in for it again. <clears throat> I, uh, beg your pardon, sir. Eh? Well, Piggy, are the drums in revolt? Am I to be pulled down right here in the open? No, sir. I'd, I'd like the pleasure of a word with you, sir. Hmm? All right, go ahead and have it. I'm asking you, sir. If you thought the world and all of your regiment and it was going off to active duty without you, sir, then how'd you feel? Mm, oh, I'm afraid I should feel a bit left out of things. And worse. It's as bad as being a blinking civilian, if you'll pardon me, sir. But that's how Jakin and me feels about it. You've no idea what a campaign can be like. Why, you'd flop on your face in the first 20 miles. No, we wouldn't, sir. We're good at marching. I've told my girl I'd bring her back a middle. I've just got to go. And anyhow, if I stay here, the bandmaster will make a blood... I mean, a blessed musician out of me, sir. I see. I think you could pass a physical... Oh, not the slightest doubt of it, sir. We're both of us very healthy for our age. Please, sir. All right. I suppose it's unheard of for a border regiment to take drummers along on active campaign. But if you get past the medical officer, you can both go along. Blimey! Jakin, did you hear that? We're going up to the front. I mean, thank you, sir. Uh, carry on. Uh, I mean, yahoo! <laughs> The regiment marched out of the station two days later, and all those left behind lined in the road that led past the parade ground. The band stood by and played them out, waiting to fall in at the foot of the column. And although Jakin perspired and beat on his drum manfully to cover up, it was quite evident that Piggy Lou was not with the band. Jakin kept glancing at the cedar hedge behind him, and I had a rather good idea why Piggy was being detained. Be awful careful and take real good care of yourself, Piggy. You're so venturesome. I'll worry all the time. It's odd, Chris. I'll grant you it's odd, but what's a man to do when his regiment's called off to active duty now? Here, give us another kiss. Oh, Piggy. Mm, that's more like it. You'd have stayed here like you ought to. You could have had as many as you wanted. And if I'd done that, Chris, you wouldn't think anything of me. Like as not. At least I'd add you with me, Piggy. And all the thinking in the world ain't like kissing. And all the kissing in the world ain't like having a medal to wear on the front of your coat. Who cares about a medal? Just stay with me, Piggy, darling. And I'll love you true forever. Aren't you going to do that anyhow, Chris? You said you was. Of course I am. Be lots more comfortable if you stayed here. Oh, don't take on about it, Chris. I'll be coming back. And I'll marry you someday, too, I promise. But when... Years and years, perhaps. You'll be careful, won't you, Piggy? Oh, man has to take his chances in the army, Chris. Uh, but if it happens, I'll, I'll be thinking of you right to the last. Oh, don't talk like that. Oh, now, here. Give us a kiss. Piggy, get yourself on over here. We're about to fall in. I've got to go now, Chris, me darling. Don't you be forgetting me. Oh, I won't ever, Piggy. Here, I made something for you to take with you. Hmm? What's this? It's a button bag. All the regular soldiers carry them. I, I put some of my hair in it. Well, now, that's awful kind of you, Chris. I, I guess it ain't made so good, but I didn't want nobody else to help me. Not even Mum. Oh, I'll carry it right over me heart, so long as I'm alive. Don't say things like that. Piggy, come on. Give us one more kiss now. I can't stay no longer. Oh, Piggy. 
Take care of yourself. Boy, Becky. Be careful. Be careful. I'll be coming around to see you, Chris, my darling, when I get back from the war. Peggy. Well, it's about time. And lucky we're not both in trouble. Here, stick this blinking fife in your ugly mouth and blow on it, petticoat chaser. Oh, shut up and beat your drum, soldier, before I decide to pound in your blooming head a bit. Tell the colonel he can shove off now. And so the four and fit went north to the wars, first by troop train, and then on foot when the last rail ahead left them with a seven-day route march before they'd reached the front up ahead. And during those seven weary days, the regiment began to crack. Men weren't hardened to the long miles of marching, and they found themselves dead tired before the noon of each day. The food was bad, and the water was worse. And on the second day, the snipers started in. They would hide in the tumbled rocks of the low brown hills beside the road and wait for the column to pass. And the first sign of one would be a flash and a puff of smoke and some man on the long line of march would die without ever seeing the enemy who killed him. <coughs> and even at night, the tired and nerve-shattered men could find no rest. If anything, the night hours and the dark tents were a good deal worse than the daylight hours on the dusty road. Stew your bloomin' gab until the morning, Piggy. I gotta get myself some sleep. As if I ain't marched just as far as you have. Oh, me bloomin' feet's killing me. Serves you bloody well right for getting us into this. We could have been back at the station of living on the fat of the land. And halfway to becoming musicians, like as not. In which case, I'd be asleepin' in a regular bed, having decent Charlie for once. I'm afraid you're not the army type, Jakin. Perhaps I shouldn't have talked my friend the Colonel into letting you come. Yes, sir. You don't have to call a blinking sergeant, sir. That ain't no arm in it. Excellent wing. Stay in your tents. Piggy, that's another one of our sentries got herself killed out there. Hey, beggars can sneak up in the dark without making a sound. And they take their bloody long knives and slice a man open as neat as you please. All right, hold your fire and see what you're shooting at. I wonder what they look like, Piggy. Those, these here pathans. Oh, what's it matter when we can't even carry rifles? I ask you now, Jakin. Look at that. How's a man to get himself a medal when all he's got for a weapon is a bloomin' fife? Late afternoon of the seventh day, weary, savage, and sick. Their uniforms dulled and unclean. Before and fit rendezvoused with the Highland Brigade. Hi, lads. Here comes the new regiment, the Four and Fit. Four and Fit, eh? <laughs> May I ask what it is they're fit for? <laughs> some of the men bore wounds, and some were stretcher cases. But the real casualty was the regimental morale. These raw conscripts had marched out of their station in the south with a band playing. And somehow they'd imagined that they might march glorious into battle the same way. But no band played when they slogged sullenly into the brigade encampment. Hey, Piggy, think we have found the blinking war at last? And what else? Ain't that a full-grown general old colonels are talking to there? Blimey, look at them chaps over there wearing petticoats. A lot you know, they're islanders. And I've heard a man best take no liberties with them. One activity might have aroused the interest of the regiment, as tired as they were. 
rifle practice of the enemy. And with all 700 rifles blazing together, that's the way they felt. We've had a bit of a tough time of it coming down, sir. My men have been rather mauled, with no chance of a fair return. They only want to go in some place so they can see what's before them. I understand, Colonel. I wish I could let you have a few days to recover, but I simply can't spare you right now. There'll be no need of it, sir. All we're wanting is one good night's rest. I see. Well, you can lay your camp area downslope from the Highlanders, Colonel. And I suggest you call a general inspection before dark. We plan to attack the enemy position at dawn. So it's active duty you wanted, Piggy. And how much longer do you think they're going to keep us standing here with the bloody daylight barely coming over the hills? Oh, noes. We can't have no battle till the blooming general has his morning tea now, can we? Just take a look at all them patents out there on the plane. Must be eight of them to one of us. Right down the line. Then it makes it that much easier to get a medal. And how do you hope to get a medal? Maybe you're going to blow their bloody eardrums out with your little fife. More like it will not even have the chance to see how the beggars look. The band, as you might have heard, is going to wheel and retire when we reach them rocks, while the regular soldiers go on and attack the enemy. Which, I might say, is exactly the way I'd plan it myself. I got no fondness for being sliced up, sliced up like a blooming leg of lamb. Oh, you got no spirit, you bloody little beggar. Beggar yourself and a bigger one. Them as want spirit can have it. Like as not, I'll have to pound your head a bit before you can... Here we go, Piggy. All right, Charge Aiken. Ready now. I call him now, Jacob. And step lively. Just keep your eye on me and I'll make a bloody ear out of you. Only someone had blundered. Someone had misread an order and the four and fit move out onto the plane to attack the enemy force alone. Confounded stupid conscripts. What are they up to anyhow? They've spoiled the whole plan of the battle. It's the kind of a mistake you could expect from a regiment that doesn't even know how to march. At the clump of rock, the band wheeled and halted and continued to play, while the ranks opened to form a skirmish line and moved slowly ahead. Hold steady, laddies. We've had no orders to move out, and therefore we'll stand fast. If the foreign fit wishes to fight like hogs, then they'll fight alone. At 500 yards range from the enemy line, the regiment began firing at will, at will and wildly. In a few minutes, they'd thrown away half their ammunition and blinded themselves with their own smoke. And farther out on the plain, the Afghan army stood quietly, throwing occasional well-aimed bullets into the milling herd of green troops. The blooming fools! They're bunching like a herd of sheep! Don't they realize there'll be a Ghazi charge at any minute? Suddenly, from the main body of the Afghan troops, a small band of about 50 Pathan warriors charged forward and fell upon the startled Englishmen. These were the Ghazis, the suicide squad always thrown out ahead of the Afghan army before any main test of strength. Swinging their long, heavy knives, they struck the close-packed British line. Why in the name of heaven don't they take open order? They'll be cut to bits! The four and fit wavered shuddered away from the vicious slashes of the murderous bone-handled knives, rallied for an instant and held, and then broke, turned tail, and ran. Who 
you look at them, laddies. Yeah. They turn and run. Yeah. You might say they make better speed to the rear than they make to the fore. They're anything but the fore and fit now. More likely to call them the fore and aft. <laughs> It'll take them a long time to live that one down. The fore and aft. <laughs> The regiment took no thought for the wounded, for the men left behind. Nor did they stop until they jammed in the pass that led up the hill. And the band too was carried along with them in their panicked headlong flight. All the band except two men. Piggy, you think the bloody beggars can see us hiding here on the rocks? Of course not. Seeing as how they're too busy at chasing our brave comrades. Look at him run, the bloomin' cowards. He did a fine way now for a British regiment to act. Had we done the same thing, we'd not be left behind here the way we are. What's eating you? You're comfortable, aren't you? Maybe comfortable, but I ain't easy in my mind. Aw, oh, stow it. Hey, somebody's dropped the canteen here. Maybe it's got rum in it. And how can you hope to tell by shaking it? And I'll keep your dirty hands off it. I'll do the trying it out. Well, is it, Piggy? Is it? No, it's water. Yeah, have yourself a free drink on a majesty, drummer boy. And look, them Pathan beggars are starting back for their own lines. And keep your head down. Well, now, with the blooming enemy return, perhaps they'll come out and rescue us. Not them, the bloody cowards. Look at them, Jake. The officers has beaten them with the flats of their swords. Can't they see the Pathans ain't chased them no more? They can't see nothing but their own precious skins. Off them, though. Maybe we ought to give them a little music. Show them it's all nice and cozy out here now. Oh, no. Taint for me to do nothing like that. Won't we should get ourselves shot? Oh, there ain't no enemy close by now. Come on, Jakin. Take up your bloody drum there. You positive there's only water in that canteen? Oh, so like as not you're a coward too. The same as the rest of the regiment. I'll show you who's a coward, Piggy, my boy. And I'll be pounding your head a bit too. The first chance I gets... Take your bloomin' fife there and stick it in your ugly face. Well, now, so you have got a bit of spirit. Maybe I'll speak to my old friend the Colonel about it. Oh, shut up and start blowing. Ready? Ready, all? Now! Where is it we're gonna march to, Piggy? Back and forth a time or two in full sight. Then we'll wait in the rocks for the battle to start. Are they watching us? To be sure they're watching us. Ah, yes. They're watching us, all right. Time held still. And even the Afghan snipers forgot their weapons. While two armies watched the tiny red-coated figures marching back and forth on the battlefield alone. Hey, and I tell you certain there's a pair of brave laddies down there. All right, you blinking cowards! Look at them out there! Are them two children the only brave men in the regiment? The men of the fore and aft lifted their heads, fingered their rifles, and stared without moving. And out there on the silent plain, back and forth, marched Jakin and Piggy. Have we got to play these blooming instruments all day long? Ain't the blighters ever going to come back? Shut up, Jake, and keep playing. Well, all I might say is, I shouldn't ever let you talk me into this. I ain't cut out for active duty anyhow. Well, I should have bloody well feel more comfortable if I was back in the... If I was... Jake. Back... Uh, uh, Jake. Uh, Jake. 
Oh, you blinking heathen blighters, you've killed Jakin. All right, I'll show you who's afraid of you. Two armies saw them die from the sniper's bullets. Two armies and the men of the fore and aft. All right, men of the regiment, what now? Those two at least were brave enough to know how to die. Fix bayonets, ready about, and form skirmish line. This time we attack, and there'll be no turning back. Look at them, ladies, the fore and aft. They're going back to fight. Aye, look at them run. Here's how it should have been done in the first place. They'll not turn the box again! Hey, ladies, and now is the time for us. Four as I know, here's where we join the fight. Ready, strike up the fight! When the jump quick, forward, car! Late afternoon saw the Afghan army wiped out. And the general explained to me how everything had gone according to his plan. And how he hoped I'd cable that back to my paper in London right away. I turned and left him then. And walked out across the silent battlefield. Walked out among the silent dead. The two tiny figures lay quite close together. Jakin fallen across his broken drum, and Piggy Lou with the fife still clenched in his dirty fist. A bulge under his tunic caught my eye, and I reached in and drew out a button bag embroidered crudely with the name Chris. I made it for you myself, Piggy, my darling, and I put some of my own hair inside of it. I'll wear it right next to me heart, Chris so long as I'm alive. I thought how Chris would soon forget and how the world's memory is no longer than hers. The sun was sinking away in the west. The button bag in my hand was soaked and damp. And over the left breast of Piggy's grimy uniform, over the pocket where citations are usually worn, a bright red stain had spread out through the coarse wool, looking so very much like the bright red ribbon that goes with a medal. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and tonight brought to you the drums of the fore and aft by Rudyard Kipling. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, featuring Gil Stratton Jr. as Piggy Lou, Jimmy Ogg as Jakin, and Eric Rolfe as Rudyard Kipling, with Jeff Corey as the Colonel and Alec Harford as the Sergeant, Eric Snowden as the General, Peggy Weber as Chris, and Paul McVeigh as the Highlander. Music is conceived and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Next week. You are drifting on the burning, glossy surface of a tropical ocean, alone on a tiny raft, with three murderous companions from whom you cannot escape.
Next week, we escape with John Russell's gripping story, The Fourth Man. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, escape the drums of the fore and aft. Um, oh, cu- yeah. Couple questions for you, Gil Stratton Jr. Who is that? Yes, he was the the young actor who played the the older of the two kids in that in that show. Right, but who is Gil Stratton Jr.? It, the name Gil Stratton is real familiar to well, me for some yeah. reason. He he ended up be uh, becoming a pretty political part of the board of Pacific Pioneer Broadcasting. Oh, uh, he. he <laughs> He he stopped. I think he he went from acting into becoming a well-known sports announcer. Okay, that, uh, that's where I know him. Sports, but also Pacific right, Pioneer yeah. broadcasters. You're right. Yeah, he was one of the people on their on their board back then. Yeah, okay. Ken said he used to get a bit argumentative about you know, certain <laughs> things happening, and, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of argumentative stuff going. Oh on yeah. There. yeah. Um, <laughs> I noticed Peggy Weber was in this. Peggy Weber is still with us at what ninety eight years old. He's in, yeah, late nineties, and uh, still uh, very with it. And uh, yeah, one of the very few survivors of that great era of, uh, of radio actors. Uh, in fact, I think even Gil Stratton is gone now. But uh, the yeah, the the actor I mentioned, Eric Eric Rolf, uh, who played Kipling in that, uh, with that you know that very British voice. He ended up in the Disney movie Song of the South. Oh, the one we're not allowed to see. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen it. <laughs> you can see it if you want to. And it's oh, actually yeah, it's actually quite yeah. charming. It, there are elements of, oh, of, yeah. of potential racist stuff in there, but I don't think it was intentional. I think it was a product well, I think, of, I mean, of the times. Everything these days, yeah, everything. <laughs> like the fun police would criticize the, the show we just heard because uh, they talk about the Pathan Warriors, which, of course, is the Afghanistan people oh. and uh, uh and uh, the whole thing about um the era of um the colonial british and all of that it's all a sore point these days so uh, <laughs> there's there's elements of that that again everything if, if everything was able to be put into context and explained to people they wouldn't be so hard-headed about these things because uh it's just the march of history really yeah well there's an agenda that's driving it a different direction and unless some context yeah. is put to it a whole lot of things are being maligned that should not necessarily yeah. be, be maligned. I mean, there's there's definitely definitely things that were wrong and bad, but oh, sure, to, yeah, to see yeah. a um, to see a, a commie under every bed, as they used to say, only changed slightly for this. Say, yeah. Yes, <laughs> to see a commie exactly. under every bed is ridiculous, and that's what we have I today. Know. All right, well, I won't go too much further into that. Uh, Norman McDonald. <laughs> Norman McDonald. What can you tell us about Norman McDonald? Yeah, this was uh, one of the very first shows done by Norman Macdonald when he became a full-fledged producer-director, and he already had uh, had served his apprenticeship under William N. Robeson, who had just left like a month before. He'd left Escape after establishing the show to direct the new Mickey Rooney newspaper drama called Shorty Bell at CBS, and that, that was a series that didn't last so long. <laughs> I've never heard of that. The Mickey Rooney <laughs> series what? Shorty Bell. He he played a, a pugnacious little reporter, and oh. 
very much, very much a Mickey Rooney show. But again, I think it only ran for like three months. So, yeah, well, uh, I think the world is better off that that's all it lasted. Right. Eventually, Bill Robson did come back to escape in uh, okay. uh, the late the late part of 1949. What a terrible thing to go leave to do a Mickey Rooney show from <laughs> from this great classic show to step down to yeah. that level. Oh, boy. If Mickey Rooney has any relatives, they're not going to like listening to this. Uh, but that's okay. But no, no, uh, Norman, Norman McDonald did uh, um, inherit from Bill Robeson the whole idea of um, the highest possible production values with sound effects and music. And, and I mean, as you heard with that Grenadier March theming that whole yes. show, you know, it was very cleverly done and dramatic right at the end there with the, with the death of the two kids. But uh, that just was like one sample of, I tried to pick some escapes that weren't as well known as the, as the big starring ones like Lion Engine versus the ants and those, those ones. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, kind of an interesting uh, example of uh, of the high production values of of uh, Escape and how it would take you to a country like the Afghan hills way back in in Empire days. Uh, and yeah, then the next I, I, show mi I missed it that we were talking about Afghanistan here. That went that went past mm. me. So um, yeah, interesting, interesting. The Afghan hills. Ah. Yep, that's right. Okay, yep. that, that didn't quite register, but I get it now. Um, all right, well, um, we're going to um, phase out here for this particular episode of the Good Old Days of Radio Show, and Keith will be back with us for the next nine of them. So uh, we'll take a, uh, a break here and say goodbye from the Good Old Days of Radio Show, and we'll be back next week with another great episode of Escape and Keith Scott, our great and knowledgeable guest, will inform us all about it. So thank you, Keith, for appearing on the Good Old Days of Radio show. And uh, it's a pleasure. We will see you all next week. Mm -hmm.